I'm Josh Constein, your host of Press Club, where we bring together the biggest leaders in tech to talk about the top stories. And this week, we couldn't have a better speaker to talk about the biggest trend of 2020 and 2021 in tech, the creator economy. We're here with Jack Conti, CEO and co-founder of Patreon, the pioneer of the creator economy, to tell us about why suddenly every platform is getting involved in this space, how artists and creators can earn more money, and where he sees this industry going in the next 10 years. Thank you so much for joining us today. Jack, how are you doing? I'm great, Josh. Thanks for having me. So excited to be doing this with you. Jack, you were sort of early on this creator economy thing. It's become the biggest buzzword. Suddenly every platform in the world wants to build something for this space. But I want to bring it back to your origin, sort of why did you want to start uh, Patreon in the first place? And tell us a little bit about your overarching theory about why the creator economy is exploding right now. Sure. So, okay. So, you know, I got started on on YouTube in, in 2007, I think is when I started uploading videos and um, at the time, I was kind of, you know, scraping together a bunch of different pieces of software. I used a, a, a link sharing service called eJunkie, which allowed me to sell MP3s. And I was putting my music on on YouTube. And I got to a point where I was making a few hundred bucks a month in MP3 sales on my own website. And that's when I kind of realized, oh, wow, I can actually do this. I can be a, a creator full time, like a, a, as a living. And then, you know, I, I started a band with my with my uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and that became Pompalous. And uh, and, and you know, Pompalous started uploading more and more YouTube videos and we started getting brand deals. And, you know, we we were we were early musicians on YouTube and, and we're getting hundreds of millions of views and and doing the creator thing. And then, you know, about Two years, uh, you know, after we started Pomplamoose, Natalie signed a, a record deal and went out, did a solo tour, left me home alone by myself. The long story short is I ended up working on a music video that cost me over 10 grand to make. And uh, yeah, I maxed out two credit cards along the way. I built a replica <laughs> Millennium Falcon cockpit in my studio, which used to be an old dog kennel. And I it involved these two like robots. I went absolutely nuts on this video. I mean, I, I uh, took me three months of my life, you know, drained my savings account to, to make it. And I had this horrible realization at the end of this process. I mean, it was great. and It was fun. I was having a great time. But what I realized, is, oh my God, I'm going to upload this video to YouTube. It's going to get a million views because that's what my videos would, would get when I'd upload them. And I'm going to get paid a few hundred dollars in ad revenue. And like the, I can't even describe, I can't describe the level of nausea <laughs> um, I felt at the end of this process, giving three months of myself, of my passion and energy and creativity, and then feeling like I was just going to hand this piece of quote unquote content, which is, which is what platforms call it. Uh, at some point we started calling art content, which I think is a travesty, but you know, the, I was going to give this piece of content to this platform and they would return to me $150. And that felt so awful to me. I think what I started to realize at that point was the discrepancy between the impact that artists have in society the joy, the enthusiasm, the passion, the creativity, the energy, the impact that they have in the world and their paychecks at the end of the month. That became painfully clear to me at the end of finishing this music video when I literally was putting this thing on the web and realizing I was going to get paid almost nothing for it. And that's where the idea for Patreon came from. I knew that my fans would, would step up and rally 
And so I called up my my freshman year roommate, Sam. You know, he's in this room listening right now, Sam Yim. And uh, he built the whole thing by himself. I sort of drew it out on 14 pieces of printer paper. And I and I showed Sam the drawings and he got super excited about it, built the whole thing. And, um, you know, we launched two and a half months later. Within the first two weeks, I was I was making six figures as an artist, which was, you know, g- game changing for me. And then you can imagine what happened next. You know, thousands of creators just started launching because they were sick of that discrepancy too. They felt that discrepancy between their impact and their worth in the world, the joy that they give their audiences, the the energy, the passion that they bring, you know, with the people that love their work. And then the the paycheck comes in and it's not reflective of their impact in the world. And I think that's kind of, that was the initial feeling that I think catapulted Patreon forward in those early days. I love it. I love that you actually built this out of a need of your your own, your own frustration with those meager payouts after pouring your heart into creating a piece of art. And we'll come back to you saying that art is like shouldn't be called content in a minute. But I want to start with maybe just your overarching theory about why the creator economy is exploding right now. And if you're in the audience and you want to join the discussion, we're going to take some questions later from the audience. And we've, we've also got a back channel chat that you can join. So if you go to constine.club, my last name, .club, or just look for the link that's pinned atop my Twitter. Uh, you can go and join uh, the back channel chat or submit questions, and we'd love to hear from you because uh, we're going to have a lot of cool stuff going on in the rest of this talk. Plus, we've got an awesome surprise musical performance happening later. You're definitely not going to want to miss. But for now, Jack, tell us about your overarching theory. Why is the creator economy exploding right now? Well, okay, how far back do you want to go? I'll, I'll give you the I'll give you the, the the quick version of what I think is is happening right now. And I'll put it in some historical context because I think it's important. So for thousands of years, artists made money through patronage. That was the primary financial model that drove the production of art at scale. That's how it happened. A a, a rich person would find an artist and say, I like your shit. Go make more. Here's a bag of coins. And then that person could go make art for however long the coins would last. And, And that's how art was financed. And all the great art that we know and love and cherish and have in our history books that's how it was financed. I mean, Beethoven, when, when he debuted the, the, you know, his, the, the Fifth Symphony, um, his patrons' names were in the libretto at, at the symphony. So that's how art was financed for literally thousands of years. And then, you know, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, humans figured out how to record sound onto a wax cylinder. They figured out how to record light onto a piece of photographic paper. And that ended up becoming... You know, what you could essentially do then is store your art on a physical object. You know, before that, art was, was ephemeral. It happened live. You know, you could paint and, and that, could, that could last. But if you made music or if you, you know, said words or if you sang, you couldn't store your art. You made your art and then it was gone forever um, unless you made it again. <laughs> and this, this storage technique of putting art on a piece of celluloid, you know, film, or on a wax cylinder to be played later, that led to an entire industry then in the 1900s of basically putting your art on a physical object and then shipping that physical object, you know, whether it's a, you know, a vinyl record or, you know, a a CD or, um, you know, a VHS tape or a DVD or a Blu-ray, you know, literally a hundred years of industry developed around the manufacturing and distribution of physical objects that stored art. And that then 
um, led to this business model of the unit sale. You know, unit sales then became kind of the primary source of, of revenue for artists. You would sell your art on a physical object, CDs and tapes and music and all that kind of stuff. So then the internet came around, you know, about 20 years ago, <laughs> uh, give or take, and it wiped out the relevance of unit sales as a financing mechanism for global art production. Once you have files that are digitized and infinitely replicable and infinitely scalable and you can make as many as you want, there's no more scarcity. Um, the idea of paying for your art on a physical object, you know, you see CD sales decline, you see DVDs decline, you know, you get all these new business models. But what happened was the first part of that chain that we figured out with the internet and, and the first part of the chain that the early winners of the web invested in was the distribution. And they left the financials at the door. So, you know, Facebook came along and Google came along and they solved distribution, but they solved it in isolation of the, of the, the business model side. So for a while, we kind of felt like, well, art's free. That's just how it is now. All art is free. Oof. <laughs> that, that doesn't sound so great for artists. I mean, the, the way it was kind of justified was information should be free. And I think there's a difference between art and information. They serve different purposes in society and they are different things. But after 15 years of artists feeling like, wait a minute, this whole business that, that I had and this, you know, dependence on unit sales as a source of revenue for my arts business is gone. What am I supposed to do? Um, that led to companies like Patreon popping up and, and Gumroad and, and the MCNs, the first wave of, you know, multi-channel networks and full screen and maker and, and collective and I think this is where the creator economy starts to happen, right? It's in that historical context. It's because the internet came along, solved distribution without solving payments. In retrospect, it's like obvious, right? It's like, of course payments was going to happen at some point. Like, what, what, what are artists supposed to do? Like not make money? Like, it, of course that was going to happen. But it took kind of 15 years of frustration and some early web platforms like Patreon and the others to kind of force the hand of the distribution companies to start taking payments seriously as a core part of the infrastructure. So that, that's why I think the creator economy is happening. Yeah. Is that what's happening now that like suddenly all these uh, these platforms are, I don't think they're, are they realizing that it was like just morally wrong or are they realizing that they're at risk of losing their creators if they don't build these, uh, these uh, tools or that they're going to lose the fans of those creators? Like suddenly why does, you know, every big social platform seem to be hiring like heads of creator community, building monetization tools. Why did this happen now? Yeah. Oh God. Unfortunately, I think it's happening because people see the, the market opportunity. Um, I, maybe that's the cynic in me, but, um, but I, th I think that's why the distribution platforms are doing it, right? They're, they're fiercely competing with each other on every new set of features that pops up, right? Like Facebook, you know, is competing with YouTube and building watch and building out video and live. And so they're not just thinking about video, they're thinking about what is the feature set required to acquire and retain video creators. And now because YouTube launched channel memberships, you know, kind of as a, uh, as a response to Patreon. Now Facebook has to launch channel memberships and now Twitter's got to launch super follows. And now everybody's got to get in because now it's becoming a table stakes feature in, you know, in, in distribution tools. So I think that trend, we're going to continue to see that. In other words, we're going to see vertical specific distribution companies start to integrate creator payments as like a table stakes feature set. You know, similar thing happened with stories and with short form video. You know, stories launched with Snap and then 
Instagram copied them, Facebook copied them. You know, everybody's got stories now. Same thing with TikTok, you know, Instagram launched Reels uh, and, and YouTube launched Shorts. And the same thing's happening with creator payments, right? It's just another feature set that's becoming the kind of commoditized table stakes feature set for, for creators. And so, you know, that has really started, that, that cycle of, of competition has really started to pick up over the last couple of years. And, and I think that's, you know, that's kind of why we're seeing it unfold right now. Do you think that they're going to be successful with this? Because we've seen mixed results. You know, when, when Instagram copied stories from Snapchat, it really won. It brought good enough tools and uh, the distribution network and graph that you already had built, and it succeeded really quickly. TikTok, on the other hand, you know, it has managed to really stave off, I think, reels from Instagram because it feels like it's not fully integrated into the product the way that stories was like right up at the top. You know, do these platforms have the conviction in the creator economy and the need to do this, uh, you know, necessary for them to actually succeed at this? Or do you think it's going to be kind of like, like you said, just something that they expect to have to offer as table stakes, but that they're never going to fully commit to? You know, it's an interesting question. And I'm an optimist, which I know is my, it's my Achilles heel. Um, I think they are going to be successful. I think they're going to help get creators paid. Facebook doesn't figure out monetization. They're not going to win over creators. And they freaking know that. So they better get good at monetization. And again, regardless of, of how good the feature set or, you know, is or how much they, they are really caring about it, um, I think the competition, the point is the competition is net positive. I actually don't think they're going to do it in the right ways. And I don't think their hearts are in the right places. I don't. But I still think they have to do something to keep up. And so that's what we're seeing. And to their credit, you know, like YouTube has launched super stickers and super chat and some of these features and, and they actually do work. Like creators are making a little bit more money, which is great. I, like, I, again, like, you know, the more, the more people are experimenting with this and doing it, the better. Now, is it uh, like, are, are they going to build the infrastructure for creators to build their businesses? Are they going to legitimately collapse the gap between the creator's impact in the world and their paychecks? No, I don't think they're going to because I don't think that's how they're thinking about it. I don't think it's their priority. Whereas for these, this new wave of companies, that's our priority. <laughs> that's what we're trying to accomplish in the world. It's the change we want to see. It's what we want to drive. It's, it's coming from a place of values, not from a place of building a market. It's wonderful to hear that you guys see it as more of something that like you need to build for the artist community rather than seeing it as just like another profit center. But maybe you could tell us about the, the impact of this diversification or this new expanded set of choices for creators. What is that going to mean for those creators? Having the ability to maybe negotiate better deals between different platforms or that just they'll kind of, these platforms will get into a bidding war and kind of drive up monetization or seeing better tools or will it kind of just get to be really fragmented, it'll be just confusing and a ton of work for creators to have to support all of these different platforms. What do you think is going to happen to them? I think there's two overall trends that we're going to see for creators over the next decade. And again, this is stemming from a point of optimism, but I want to be clear. I'm not being optimistic to be optimistic. This is actually what I believe. <laughs> this, is, this is what I think is going to happen. And I think if you look at the long arc of it, it's pretty clear that this is what's going to happen over the next 10 years. It's two trends. One, creators are going to make more and more money. They're going to we're, we're largely uh, this combination of distribution platforms and new companies and then all these incredible companies that are, you know, new, new companies that are starting to form and starting to 
to, you know, have their customer be the creator instead of the advertiser. Hallelujah, by the way. Thank God it's about time that we're like building for customers who are our focus. That's such an exciting change. They're going to make more money because of that. That's trend number one. Trend number two, they're going to spend more time on their art. And these companies are going to take work off of creators' plates. What kind of work? All kinds of work. You name it. All the things that creators have to do. Creators, to make art today, you have to be the CEO of your own media company. It is so hard. You have to do so much. You got to do logistics and shipping. You got to manage a team. You got to hire an accountant. You got to learn finances. You got to do the whole thing. You got to be your own CEO. I think what we're going to see is this, this second trend is more and more companies picking apart those problems one by one and giving creators a way to not have to do every little, every single part of the whole operation from scratch so that creators can focus on making their art. And if we, if we zoom out, I think that's the trend that we're going to start to see. Creators are going to, you know, we're going to slowly collapse the gap between their impact and the money that they make. And we're going to see them spend more and more time on their art and less and less time on the things that they don't want to do. Well, that seems you know, both good, like great, artists are going to make more money, sad that they're going to make more money by spending less time making their art. Uh, but I think that seems to be like where you guys are really trying to come in and help them is offer you know, a platform which can do a bunch of that. And given you're facing these enormous competitors that are going to be are barging into this market, it seems like you would need the cash. And so maybe you could tell us about the, the big news that you guys just announced this morning. Yeah, sure. Sorry, J- just to clarify, I think creators are going to spend more time on their art as like more and more things pop up to help creators with their businesses. So the trend, I think, is over time, creators are going to get to spend more and more time in their art, less and less on logistics and all the stuff that a lot of folks don't want to spend their time on. But yes, with, with regard to the, to, uh, to the fundraise, we, we just announced that we've, uh, we've raised a new round, which is super exciting. We brought in two new investors and, uh, and we have participation from our current investors. And it's a really exciting moment. I think more than anything, it's an exciting moment because it's a marker that there's something real and big happening here. Um, And I don't mean with Patreon. I mean with creators. I mean with this cultural change that we're starting to see with with the the onset of professional creativity. That's the marker. And, And what's exciting about it is it's becoming a reality. It's becoming an option. It's becoming not a dream anymore to be a creative person. It's becoming a thing you can do if you want to. Um, and that is such a wonderful moment for the world. And I, I think that's starting to become very clear to a lot of people now. So you guys, yeah, you guys raised $155 million at $4 billion, which seems like you should finally have enough cash to actually be able to, to build out what you need for this. Uh, and, and that's really exciting because I think a lot of people always wonder, like, if I'm going to build out my entire artist presence on a platform, I really want to know that it's going to be there for me for the long run, which I think is exciting about having this kind of this depth of, of, of change in, your, in, in the wallet. Yeah, I mean, the, the kinds of things that we can do, you know, um, we want to expand the offering. We want to continue internationalizing. You know, three quarters of creators we think are outside of the United States. And up until about a year ago, Patreon was in English and in dollars. Oh man, I felt, you know, it's, we've got to get the product to creators where they are in the language that they want, in the currencies that they want, and, and to their fans too. So, you know, we, we added uh, euros and, and pounds and Canadian dollars and Australian dollars and French, Spanish, German, Italian, and, and there's there's more along the, you know, along the lines of internationalization there. And then, you know, we want to build out our, our mobile experiences and, and our content experiences on the site and make those amazing. And, 
you know, refine the creator experience and the patron experience too. That's largely what we're going to be doing with, uh, with the money. Awesome. So we're going to get into some more sort of philosophical topics in a second. Uh, but one question we're about to ask you, you know, you mentioned uh, your thoughts on art versus content. If you guys go to Constantine.club right now, you can join the chat and, and answer our poll. Should we call art content? Hell no, or it's fine. Uh, Jack, maybe you could weigh in. Like you, you said you think it's a travesty. Why, why do you say that? Content fills a hole. That's what content does. Content belongs in a feed. That's where content should be. Art should be cherished because it's beautiful and important and it's not information and it's not content. It's art. And, and I think words matter. Words carry baggage along with them. When you think of it like content, the space that it occupies in your brain is that this is a commodity. It commoditizes the output of creators. It makes it all one thing. It's the same reason I don't like the word influencer. Influencer extracts the one thing from creators that advertisers care about, influence, and then it commoditizes that capability. So if I'm a creator, I don't want to be called an influence. That's not what I do. That's not why I wake up. I don't wake up in the morning to influence. That's ridiculous. I wake up in the morning to make art. But what am I to an advertiser? I am a person who can influence others. I think that's BS. I think it changes, it, it, again, words matter. It changes what we think those, those jobs are. And, and I would encourage creators to think of themselves as creators. You know, we, we make stuff. We don't just influence people. I think we can influence people with the stuff that we make, but that's what advertisers want from us. And, and I know different creators have different opinions about this kind of stuff, but I'm not saying it's bad to work with advertisers or do brand deals. I think all that can be really healthy and, and really good and a great source of revenue for creators. It's just the word and what kind of lights me up and, and gets me going when I wake, out of, you know, wake up in the morning. I, I don't want to be an influencer. I want to be a creator. Where do you kind of see the the line being drawn there? Like, is there some point where maybe you're making things because somebody else tells you they make more money? Or is it even just like following what fans feedback says rather than doing what's in your heart? Like what what is the dividing line between when you stop making art and start making content? This is such a tough question. And, um, and, and what makes it tough too is that creators have seen a wide array of opinions about this exact topic. It's like, how much do I want to let my fans mold and sculpt the things that I make? And there's a whole spectrum of creators that, that have different answers to that question. On the one end, you have Bjork and Radiohead, <laughs> where it's like the genius in, in the room by themselves and they make things. And if you don't like it, fuck you, is kind of the approach. And gosh, it works. When it, when it works, it's, it truly is beautiful and awesome. On the other end of the spectrum, um, there's creators who, who literally end their videos or podcasts by saying, okay, here's the topics for next time. What should I talk about? And why don't you vote on the topics? And then there's everything in between, right? It's like basically, you know, choose your own adventure art or, or you know, work for your fans. And then there's like, you know, I'm going to make things for myself. And if my fans like them, fine. And if they don't, fine. And I actually don't think there's a right answer there. It's up to the creator. I think both are totally legitimate and everything in between is totally legitimate. And I think what's important, you know, for creators to know is like, wh where are you on that spectrum right now? 
and, and what is it that you feel comfortable with and that gets you excited. And that can change over time too. I've seen some creators, you know, feel like they've leaned too far in one direction. They feel like, God, I got to get back to basics. I got to find my heart and my soul again. I don't want to, I don't want to listen to, you know, what, what fans want anymore. I just want to make something for myself. And again, like that's up to the individual creator and, and, and I, and I've seen, I've seen the whole spectrum. Okay. So I, I want to ask a little bit about you know, what happens next for uh, for creators who are constantly making content. Like one of the things that I think is the toughest about being a creator is you don't get days off. And the algorithms, they don't give you days off. If you disappear, if you stop making, your audience can start to disappear, especially when you don't have full ownership of them. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about like what can creators, but also what can the industry do to help creators avoid that sense of burnout where, you know, the, the art that they love making starts to feel like a job, starts to feel like a yoke on their shoulders, starts to feel like something they dread. And, and it becomes something where like they, they don't want to make anymore, which is a, an awful loss for society at large. Another super important question. Um, and I think something that's just, you know, near and dear to my heart and, and to, uh, to a lot of creators' hearts. Um, I can tell you about, about our approach and um, what this stems from is this kind of, um, I mean, I actually, I do think it comes down to the business model, the, the ad-driven business model and the need, you know, the kind of need for daily active users and the need to, you know, retain your audience and feed them new content every day. And if I don't post today, then I'm going to get a, you know, I'm going to get dinged by the algorithm. And all that stuff, I think, comes down to the business model and and comes down to that core that core problem. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, the, the venue affects the art. I, I strongly believe that, you know, if you're uploading things to YouTube, it's different than if you're uploading them to your own website and, and understanding how it's different and how it's affecting your art and where you're okay to let it affect your art and where you're not is super important. But, you know, in, in terms of that, that actual, like, how do you get off the content treadmill, as I call it, you know, how do you, how do you not just feel like you're churning out garbage, um, which is like the worst feeling in the world? Um, you know, this has been a problem for a very long time. And, and if you, you know, Ed Catmull from, from uh, uh, Pixar wrote this wonderful book called Creativity Inc. And he talks about feeding the beast in this book, you know, having to crank out a movie every year. And the pressure around, well, do we make a new movie every year or do we spend an extra six months and get it right? And again, there's no silver bullet here, but I can tell you the way we've approached it. Pomplamoose, my band, the way we've approached it. My wife is the full-time Pomplamoose CEO. She runs Pomplamoose now because uh, I have a full-time job. <laughs> so so she, she runs the band. And a couple of years ago, she got to a point where she just felt like she couldn't do it anymore. You know, we're doing a music video every week. And that is a ton of work. And so we just set aside all our goals for the year all of them. We set aside all the goals. And we said, the only goal this year is making this sustainable for Natalie. And we worked on it together. And we, we did a ton of work to make that happen. We, you know, we hired a team. Fortunately, Pomplamoose is a, is a profitable company in its own right. It's putting out a music video every week. It has a million listeners on Spotify almost. It generates a lot of revenue from that. You know, it has a good membership on Patreon. So, so we can afford to hire a team and, and build out the Pomplamoose organization. So we, we kind of figured out what, where was Natalie's time going? How could we take those things off her plate, hire around her so that she could focus on songwriting and just leading a more sustainable life? 
Um, and that was this long process. It took us a year. You know, we had to hire the right people and find the right team for her and, and figure out how to delegate and set up the systems and all that. Now, a lot of creators can't afford to do that and, and are not at that stage yet. And for those folks, you know, I, I think like talk to your fans about it. The, the best examples I've seen of this are when a creator goes to their audience like, folks, I'm exhausted. I'm wiped. I need a month off. I'm going to be gone for a month. Um, and then they come back and their fans are, I've always seen fans be super supportive of that. Always. Because guess what? Your fans take vacation too. And they totally know that you just need some time to check out occasionally. So, you know, I, I've, I've seen a, a number of ways for creators to solve this, but I think the, the way that doesn't work is to just be on the treadmill and to just resign yourself to feeding the beast and to feeding the treadmill and to slowly hate your career and hate life. That, uh, that doesn't lead to good things. Do you think that there's more that the industry could be doing to help the, this, like offering you kind of like a algorithmic vacation where like you can take time off without getting dinged or should it just be like, I mean, obviously we could fix the business models overall, but capitalism is pretty well entrenched. Uh, so is, are there more sort of specific features or things that we could offer here uh, or ways, or should we popularize something like, you know, trade-offs where, you know, a creator can say, oh, a friend of mine is taking over my account for the week and they're going to keep providing you with awesome stuff while I take a little siesta. You know, what, what do you think of what could help both uh, creators or the industry and, and make progress here without having to uproot capitalism, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea of, of algorithm vacation. <laughs> that's great. They should do that. I, I think that's a great idea. I also like the idea of, of takeovers. Um, Scary Pockets, which is my funk band, we do takeovers on our socials too, where you know, we collaborate with a ton of people. We, we also put out a music video every week. And each time there's a, there's a new singer and new musicians. And we ask those people to sometimes take over our socials and, and do a bunch of, you know, do a bunch of, stuff through through our channels and um and i think that's a great way to do it too so yeah i, I love that idea and i i totally see a potential feature set there um it would be awesome if the distribution platforms basically basically gave you a way to to not get dinged and to take a break wow that'd be that'd be great awesome yeah i think hunter walk and lee jin have both made a lot of progress to, uh, talking about that topic and, and always want to credit them for their awesome contributions on the creator economy philosophy stuff uh, and that brings us to the explosion of new tools that are out there you know one thing that you're really seeing is that creator uh the, the, there's a new wave of creator economy startups that are emerging to sort of service uh creators who are moving their fans off of these big platforms and moving them towards owned properties where they can either collect contact information directly, which those big platforms often never give, uh, or be able to monetize a lot more directly. And it seems like the a lot of the major platforms didn't build these features for a really long time and are now kind of playing catch up. I mean, I, I credit Clubhouse. They actually just launched their tipping feature this week, uh, which you can try if you want. You can find it in my profile. But it's like they, they, they finally saw that these other platforms were losing creators because they didn't allow very direct monetization. And now you've seen this wave of new startups arise to help them, you know, whether that's Cameo and Looped for v, uh, like VIP meet and greets and appearances uh, or merchandise companies like Fourth Wall. And there's also like financial infrastructure like uh, Carrot, which is a company in the Signal Fire portfolio that helps uh, creators have a credit card that actually where their credit card score, their credit score is determined by their follower count and their engagement rate so that they can finance their video shoots before they happen. And we're seeing, you know, a, a huge wave of these new startups uh, break out these little point solutions for monetization. How, what do you see is happening with that trend? Why is that 
happening now? And which of those uh, tools do you think we still are, are looking for that don't exist yet? I think this is uh, one of the most exciting thing that's happening for creators. And this is what I meant when I said like, it, it, like we're, you know, creators are, are going to get to focus on their art more and, and less on a lot of this kind of stuff. I'll give you an example. In 2010, before Patreon, I went to buy a house and I was making well above the, the, you know, the income required to get a loan for the house that I wanted to buy. But I was making that income off of iTunes sales. I was selling my records on iTunes. And that's where my income came from. And when I went to get a loan at the bank, the bank said, hey, Jack, uh, we'll give you this loan, but you need to send us your pay stubs. And I said, what are pay stubs? (laughs) And they said, you know, the thing that your employer gives you that says that you have a salary. And I was like, oh, you mean like my iTunes reports? And so I sent them my iTunes reports. And the bank didn't know what the fuck to do with me. They had no idea what to do with me. I like, I, you know, I'm a creator making my living selling MP3s online. I mean, actually, it's funny. I don't blame the bank. Like, what are they, what are they supposed to do? But, but the point is, all these new companies now who understand creators are starting to pop up and solve those sorts of problems. What is that particular problem? That particular problem is access to capital, right? That's what that particular problem is. And And creators don't have the same access to capital that lots of other people in the world have. Why? Because creators aren't, aren't, um, because there's no interface between creators and the world right now, right? The the kind of employer acts as the connection layer between society and, and the person. There is no such layer for creators. And so I think what we're seeing is a lot of these startups are coming along and saying, yeah, we get you creator. We understand you. We know how much you're worth. We believe in you. Here, do this. Take this. Have this money. Have this advance. You know, ha- have this health care. Have this whatever it is. And, and name the problem. Creators have it. And, and all of that is going to be solved over the next 10 years. That is precisely the, the kind of change that we're going to see that I just think is so exciting. Um, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're going to see all those things just become super easy. I, I call it kind of getting Legoized. They're going to be Lego blocks. You're going to be able to build a creative business like you put together a, a Lego set, kind of one block at a time. And you can use the, you know, the recruiting block to find an editor and you can use the, you know, the, the post-production block to, to polish and do color correction. You can use the healthcare block to make sure that I get, you know, my healthcare and I can use the access to capital block so I can get a loan for a studio so that I can, you know, build out my, my podcast dream. Um, and, and all that stuff is going to be, you know, one block and, and, and easily accessible and available to creators. I, I, I really believe that that's where we're going and that's where all these startups are coming from. I mean, I made a video today where I, I called this out, but I'm in a Slack channel that, that Lee Jin set up. Um, it's got 300 companies in it building for creators. Fuck yes. It's so awesome. 300 companies building inf- the infrastructure for the second Renaissance. It's fucking sick. It's so exciting. And um, yeah, I, I just think the next 10 years are going to be, are going to be, they represent a sea change for creative people. They, they represent the transition from creativity being this thing where you're not connected to society and you're this outcast artist 
to artists are freaking in charge and and doing it and making it happen. And kids growing up are seeing that and getting inspired and then becoming creators themselves. And it becomes creativity as a profession becomes normal. That's where we're headed. So what tools do we lack right now? You, you mentioned finance, and I totally agree. Carrot is definitely trying to solve that. And there's a bunch of other companies looking to give you know advances for creators. I think Substack is doing a really great job of that, where they offer money ahead of time before your subscribers sort of come through. So it makes it a lot easier to quit your full-time job and become a full-time Substack writer. But beyond finance, what are the other tools that you think we still need? Maybe that's analytics or CRM, website builders, uh, or, or other types of monetization that we haven't even seen yet. Like what? you still think is missing from the creator quiver? There's so many things. I'll give you an example. I've talked to thousands of creators, you know, over the last eight years doing Patreon and just through collaborations, you know, in Scary Pockets and Pomp and Loose and my bands, you know, I'm, I, I'm hanging out with creators all the time. And um, I do a weekly meeting with with six creators where we, we just talk about how to grow our memberships. And I talk about how I grew Pomp and Loose's membership and how Natalie grew Pomp and Loose's membership. And everybody shares stories about how they grew their membership. Of all these creators, uh, not just the ones in this meeting, but all the creators I talk to, I, 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 some very high portion of them, I don't know what the percentage is. It's qualitatively, it's it's most, <laughs> most, most of the creators I've talked to have said something like, "Gosh, I, I really wish I could just find an editor so I could just make the podcast and somebody have have somebody else do post production, or I really wish I could just find a video editor so I could just shoot the video and have somebody else edit it." Finding a a technical collaborator for post-production. That is like one of the biggest needs that I've seen um, you know, across all types and all verticals of creativity, whether it's audio or music or podcasting or video or storytelling or, or you know, whatever it is. So like that, that's, that's an example of a very big need and a very hard problem to solve, very, very difficult to solve, I think, with you know, a fully automated service. You know? um, but, but other examples of things that I think you know, creators need besides just dashboards and, and CRM logistics. I think creators need logistics. A lot of creators, I think are like me. They have, they you go into their garage, they have boxes and boxes of merch. You know, they, they, they have inventory, they've printed a bunch of extra stuff and it's sitting there. It's value on a shelf <laughs> that should be in the hands of their fans. And then, you know, should be going, you know, money should be going to the creators and all the logistics associated with, with shipping and delivering physical goods to your fans. Another thing I think is production. Um, and there were some great companies that, you know, started to dabble in these areas and some companies that, um, that, that, you know, had some success and companies like Teespring and, but I think producing merch and, and actually I think we're also going to stop calling it merch. I think, I think it's going to, it's going to be fashion and it's going to be, you know, limited supply, uh, limited run, small batch fashion, kind of as, as individualized as our taste in music or as our, you know, subscription list on YouTube. I think the same thing's going to happen for, for fashion. What about all that? How, how do you, how, how are creators going to participate in that? Because I think that's going to be a big thing. So all of those problems, you know, associated with every step of that process. And then I think there's, there's all the kinds of, you know, just, just the list of things that are available to most employees that creators don't have. Again, you know, healthcare, insurance, uh, you know, savings, retirement, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's creators have all these problems because no one is, is helping them with these things. So those are some of the things that I think we're going to start to see happening specifically for small business creative media companies for, for creators. 
Well, Jack just dropped a whole set of startup ideas. If anyone out there is looking for something to build, the idea of like a post-production talent uh, discovery marketplace, logistics for shipping, uh, how uh, savings and retirement funds. One you mentioned was fashion. There's actually a really cool company called Wardrobe, and they allow uh, creators to basically put their uh, closets up for rent on, on social media so that people can rent out individual pieces of clothing and wear what their favorite creators wear. And since most clothing like isn't even available for sale right now, I think that's a really cool idea to allow creators to offer to gain a passive revenue stream because I think a lot of what we talk about is like just constantly pushing more content out there and I think if there's ways for creators assets to sort of work for them when they're not working that would be really lovely to see uh, yeah that uh, that brings up to sort of another topic which is the creator economy middle class you know what is what do you think is going to happen here you know in, over time is it going to be that most of the creator fandom uh, and payments end up going to a few really big creators and there's not a real good sort of middle class there. Um, and maybe a few people getting started, trying, maybe failing and, and sort of churning out of the creator economy. Uh, or do you think that there's a real opportunity for that, like a big middle class of niche creators that maybe don't appeal to everyone, but appeal, appeal to a big enough audience that they can start to make a living or at least a big side hustle? Do you think that that's more of the future uh, for, for what's going to happen here? Or is that creator economy middle class more just the production economy? You know, the people who are helping maybe behind the scenes, they're not creators themselves or their name isn't on the account, but they're the people who actually make that content happen. Oh, Josh, it's, it's not the future. It's, it's the now. It's happening right now. I, you know, look, <laughs> look around. It used to be that you were either Coldplay and you were playing stadiums and, and that, you know, you, you made it, quote unquote, you made it, another phrase that I hate, but you made it. Or you were playing, you know, local bars for out, you know, without pay. You did it for beer and, and pizza. You did it, you know, for a free meal. And that, those are your kind of two options. <laughs> there's, there wasn't a lot in between those things for a very long time because of the, you know, the, the, the limited number of channels, the limited ways to build an audience, uh, the number of gatekeepers, the kind of the distribution pipes. Um, that is no longer the case. There are millions, tens of millions of people now that are making, I mean, cumulatively billions and billions of dollars every year doing what they love and building their dreams, build, building, you know, building a business around their passion. And there are millions and millions of them that are making not just, not just, you know, a, a kind of scraping by living, but, but kicking ass, you know, hiring teammates, buying houses, um, building studios. Now that doesn't mean that anybody um, can do it. Like you still have to be able to make great art that resonates with a lot of people and build an audience. Uh, oof, I don't think there's a startup in the world that can solve that problem. <laughs> I, I don't think there's a company that can kind of force product market fit, if you will, between a, a creator and their audience. At the end of the day, the art part and the audience building is up to the quality of content that you make and, the, and how you reach people and building that audience. But in terms of this middle class, it's freaking here. That's what it is. That's what creators are. And of course, there are the, the creators too that are killing it, making millions of dollars a year. And, and, um, and that's, that's a whole other thing. But, but yeah, it's happening right now. It's not the future. It's the present. 
Well, that's lovely to hear. And yeah, I think one of the things that I've been most excited about, about things like TikTok, where there's an algorithm that can suddenly vault a creator to stardom, even if they don't have a big following already, even if they haven't been making content for years, I think that really opens up the representation because it doesn't have to be people who are financially stable, who've had some kind of, you know, trust fund backing them for years while they lose money making content. But instead that, you know, if, as long as they make something wonderful that people truly love, that they can grow really large. And so speaking of that growth issue, I wanted to ask you about discoverability and sort of branding for creators. You know, on Patreon, people don't use their own URL. They use their sort of Patreon URL. And on Patreon, you do allow some discovery of other creators. How do you think about the future of platforms for creators that, you know, maybe put the, 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 the platform name in the URL or put the platform name more front and center versus more white labeled tools that will allow creators to put their own brand name first? And do you think the creators get mad when there's sort of discovery, which might help them, but might also cannibalize their subscribers by sending them to their competitors? I do think there's uh, a big need um, for, for a segment of creators, not all creators, but there is a big segment of creators that want an owned and operated website and business. And, and I don't blame them. They've been burned, you know, by the distribution platforms. There's an algorithm change. Suddenly their, trof- their traffic drops by 50%. Their revenue drops by 50% then what? Like, and it's a, and it's a unilateral decision that's poorly messaged and, and, and there's no recourse. Um, this kind of behavior, I think, has led to just a, a, a vast mistrust in building a business on the distribution platforms. There's a distrust in that. And, and I think there's, a, there's an increased excitement and enthusiasm for building my own business on my own website with my own systems, you know, that, that are, that are my control. There are trade-offs of that for a creator, right? Like you, you know, I think checking Pomplum's stats recently, something like 60 to 70% of our views come from browse features and the homepage and, and, you know, automated recommendations. So, um, you know, we'd lose out on all of that if we just relied on email and subscriptions from our, for our fans, but some creators, that's what they want. And that's the business that they want to build. So I actually think white labeling is going to be a big part of that. We acquired a, a company called Memberful years ago because we, we deeply believe in white labeling as a solution for creative people. And so, you know, Memberful allows creators to set up their own and operated website with, with a membership and they can accept payments and do the whole thing on their own website because they want the control and we want to give them that control. Um, so I, I think that's a, that's a big part of the, of the future for creators and a big part of the reason that we joined forces with, with Memberful. And then in terms of discovery, your question around, you know, is this, um, like, do creators get mad at discovery? Yes, some creators do. And I think it's because in a lot of cases, discovery has been done poorly. And it's been done in a way that essentially separates a creator from their fans, right? When you, when you have a, a cure, an algorithmically, um, uh, you know, organized feed, then the things that I publish are no longer guaranteed to go to the people that chose to subscribe to me. In my view, that's a, that's a breakage of the contract. That's not a subscription anymore. I haven't subscribed to that thing. I've been duped. If I subscribed to a thing, I should get that thing. <laughs> that's the relationship that I expect. And so this idea of discovery by, by creating al- algorithmically curated feeds and, and I, I think doing discovery, you know, in that way has led to this broken contract. And again, more 
mistrust. And, and I do think there are good ways to do discovery. I think there are great ways to do discovery. I think there are ways to do discovery that are community-based. I think there are ways to do discovery that are opt-in. I think there are ways to do discovery that allow creators to join groups and be a part of a, a movement together as a, as a group that, that shares fans with each other and introduces fans to each other. I think there's ways to do discovery through collaboration, right? We're seeing a lot of that happen anyway. Creators collaborate with each other to introduce their fans to each other's work. Um, there's plenty of healthy, positive ways to do discovery. I just think they really haven't been leveraged in, in a lot of the, the mainstream yet. So are you guys going to build, you know, the ability to white label your Patreon presence, like embed your whole Patreon, you know, uh, system onto your own website? Is that something you guys want to offer? I mean, right now we have like that, that is what memberful is, right? You can white label your entire membership on your own website that currently exists. But if I wanted to move like my Patreon presence to my own site, like I've already got a Patreon and I want to move it to my own site, is that something you guys want to offer? I would say maybe down the road, who knows? Right now we have like, we're, we have a solution for creators that they like. And there's kind of, I, I do think some creators might want to move back and forth between. And so when we do need to do something like that, we can help them do that. And it's relatively painless. But we don't have like a, an automated way to do that right now. It's not like a feature set. It's not like, oh, I can just, you know, move my, move my Patreon to my own website and back again. It's, you know, Memberful is a, is a standalone company that operates independently. Um, so no, that, that doesn't currently exist. Okay, so one other question that comes with being a platform and not having creators kind of on their own sites where you know, they're really responsible for the content they produce is the moderation question. You know, if you operate a platform, you kind of have to draw the line somewhere. And you guys have had, you know, had some, some tough experiences with that. And at the same time, I think you've been very uh, forward thinking. You put in a policy years ago that if somebody uh, harasses one of your creators off of platform, they can still get banned on platform. And I, I really care about that policy because it takes into the... Uh, account the, that the creator ecosystem, the social media ecosystem is one big holistic place that we operate and you shouldn't be able to just like yell at somebody one place and then go somewhere else and not get punished for it. So what's your opinion on like where to draw the line for moderation with platforms? <laughs> how, how deep do we want to go here? I don't want to go that deep to be real. I've got some other great questions. Plus we have some amazing surprise musical performance coming on up in just a few minutes. Uh, but yeah, maybe like just a quick thought on it. I think everybody is, uh, not everybody, a lot of people are calling for reform of, of section 230 of the CDA. And um, I mean, it's, it's understandable right now, content, essentially what we have is like decentralized content policy. It, you know, if I use this broadcast software, then one content policy applies. If I use that broadcast software, then this other content policy applies. It, it's, it is, is kind of weird. Um, I, I don't think that's how it's going to be in 10 years. I think there's going to be a content policy. I mean, the, the, the FCC used to have broadcast standards and practices, and they had standards like no news distortion. Like that was one of the standards that used to exist. And, and, and if you were a broadcaster, you are considered like a public trustee, like a trustee of the public good. And then, you know, a, a lot of the stuff kind of got erased when the, when the web came out um, and kind of got ignored. And I, and I think we're starting to see all kinds of problems because of that. And I, I think there, you know, there's already so much work going on. I actually saw uh, Barry Schuler, who's, who's in the audience right now, who's the uh, former CEO of, of AOL and an investor at DFJ and an investor in Patreon. He and I have talked about this endlessly. And um, yeah, I, I think content policy is going to be very different in 10 years. Trying to practice content policy right now, um, as Alex Stamos said, is like practicing 
accounting before gap accounting principles became a thing. It's like almost impossible. It's, you know, changing standards, changing platforms. Um, it's, it, it, it needs, needs work. Do you think we're going to get more lenient, like, you know, more sort of adult content or edgy content is going to be allowed on platforms or is it going to go the opposite direction? I think what's going to happen is um, basically collaboration between platforms and a, a single set of standards. I'm not saying this is what should happen or what I believe needs to happen. This is just what I think is going to happen, is that there's going to be essentially standards and practices that are agreed upon that reflect kind of the, you know, a lot of work that's been done previously and was kind of already published and existent for radio and television. And I think it will be more lenient than radio and television because, um, you know, the the web is the web and is different. So I, I don't think it's going to be a repeat of that. I think it's I think it's going to allow for free, open expression and creativity uh, in a way that we that we haven't had. Where does that leave someone like OnlyFans, which some people think of as sort of the, like the explicit side of the Patreon coin? I think if there is some kind of centralized content policy, it's going to apply to to all broadcast platforms, um, anywhere where you can broadcast, you know, something, a message, video, text, whatever it is. And, uh, and I think it'll apply there too. I, I, OnlyFans, I think is great. I'm really glad OnlyFans exists. Um, now with, with any platform, there's problems, but like largely, I think it's really a wonderful thing for models and, and sex workers and, and folks to be able to, to, you know, make a living doing what they do. And, and a platform like OnlyFans is, is enabling that. And that's awesome. Um, and I don't think that that's going to, go away. I don't, I don't think I, that that's, that, that's here to stay. I mean, that's a new, that's a new cultural phenomenon. That's, that's, that's here for good now. And I think, you know, any new policies that could put in place are going to acknowledge that. Then I think you have to be, of course, super buttoned up and careful about the, the edge cases and the, and the, you know, abusive ways that, that those platforms can kind of lead to, to poor relationships. And, you know, there, there's child abuse and there's child exploitation and there's, lack of consent. And there's all kinds of issues that pop up, you know, in, in that arena. But, but again, I think there are ways that those things can be solved and, and detected. And, and I think largely the, the work is going to be done to get there. It's a lot of work. Uh, and, and again, it's nowhere near where it needs to be. And, and I think this is one of those just super early burgeoning moments where we're starting to realize the kind of vast scale of these problems and, and really starting to take them seriously. Yeah, I do hope that if the platforms do take this seriously, that there remains a place for all of those kind of colors of content. Because, I mean, museums, like a quarter of museums are filled with nude art. Like, And yet sometime, somehow if you put it on a gallery wall, it's like totally cool. This is great and classy. And as soon as you put it on OnlyFans, it's not allowed. And I think I wonder how that, that will evolve. Uh, but one other issue that I think uh, it, people are thinking about when it comes to artist monetization is NFTs. And with that, we have a little special something for you, uh, Mr. Jack Conti. Uh, I'd like to bring up the the artist Falling in Sand, also known as James Sun. He is an incredibly prolific sand artist. And what he does is he literally injects uh, grain by grain using uh, a special needle that he made himself to create these sand portraits. And so uh, uh, James just joined us on stage. James, thanks so much for creating this little portrait of Jack Conti. Really excited to have you uh, here and check it out. Jack, what do you think? No, well, I just saw it. Oh my God, that's made of sand? And if you go to my profile on Twitter right now uh, and you click through, you can see the whole video and there's a video of the whole creation of this uh, of this uh, beautiful piece of art. And we're actually auctioning it off uh, starting now. Uh, and 20% is going to be going to Stop AAPI Hate uh, to help our Asian American and Pacific Islander neighbors uh, to get the kind of protection and justice and, and legal help that they deserve, uh, given the 
the rash of terrible attacks recently. Uh, but James here, maybe you could just tell us for a second like why you made this piece. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, so James basically takes his like these grains of sand and puts them in one at a time um, with this little needle to be able to do it. Um, and so if James, if you guys want to check out James's art, he has 3.5 million followers on TikTok. He's blowing up over there uh, with his portraits. And this is his first ever NFT, and the winner gets both the real version, the like the actual sand jar portrait of Jack, as well as the digital NFT. Uh, and yeah, like we said, we're giving 20% to AAPI, uh, Stop AAPI Hate, which is really important cause right now. Um, but Jack, I would love to ask, like, what's Patreon's view of NFTs? Like, is that something you guys want to get involved in? That freaking artwork is incredible. And I can't wait to follow you on TikTok. What, what, what is James's TikTok handle? I, I have to see this. This is just amazing. Yeah, it's called Falling in Sand. And yeah, if you click through my profile or I think his, they're pinned, they're, uh, mine, it's pinned to the top of my Twitter right now. So you can check out uh, what this amazing sort of animated GIF version of him creating this piece of art really looks like. And it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. But yeah, uh, James, we'll keep you up here for a second in a moment we're gonna have a great musical performance but jack maybe you could just tell us what is it that you're you know what what do you think is going to happen with patreon and nfts you know i have a few thoughts about nfts i'm super excited about them i, I think they have a ton of prom promise i think it's one of those things that feels very early and is in you know super early stages i think the two problems right now are, are just around like the consumer experience just at, you know the, the ease of purchasing in an nft if you're not somebody that's kind of got all the infrastructure required. It takes a long time to set up and actually make it happen. And then I think the second problem is just the the, the value proposition on on the consumer side. And, and both of these problems I think are are going to be addressed, you know, easily. Or or not easily, but but they're they're going to be addressed. On the value prop side, I think right now, the way people are thinking of NFTs broadly, and I think if you know a, a lot of the uh, the stuff that's being written about NFTs, you know, it's it's almost like a security. You know, it's like an investment, and maybe it'll be worth more later, and that's the value of it. And okay, fair enough, but but I don't think that's um, I don't think that's where this can go. I you know I, I think the really exciting thing about an NFT is is having it be the ticket, having it be the permission layer, having it be the entitlement. I think that's the value proposition of an NFT that could really be exciting and add a lot of value to creators and add a lot of value to fans. If if this NFT becomes um, my ticket into this live stream, or if this NFT means that, you know, my LTV as a, as a fan is, is really high. And so I get free access to this room or this community or, you know, this special experience that I think is super exciting and, and, and clearly overlaps with Patreon, right? We're talking about a, we're talking about a, a, a system that basically is a, is a super fan identifier. Um, and so I, I do think there's some overlap there if, if NFTs move in that direction, which is where I think it's, it's going to go. And, and actually there are already NFTs that are kind of doing that and helping people, you know, join special discord communities and things like that. But th that's kind of what I see as, as one of the big exciting directions for NFTs and, and the other part of it, I think, too, is just a creator owning their content. I'm not entirely sure how this part plays out, but I do know that even if I own my content, <laughs> my art, you know, if I own the rights to it, when I upload it to, to YouTube or to one of these other platforms, I don't really own it. They own it. They own the metadata. They own the consumption data. They own the view count. They own everything. And I can't take that piece of work and put it somewhere else. Um, it's non-transferable. <laughs> um, now I can upload a, a, the video file somewhere else and put it on another platform, but then it doesn't come with all the views and all the other, you know, all, all the, all the 
you know, it's, it's, it's experience with those fans on those other platforms. And so I, I do think there's another thing here on creators being able to own their content. And, and I think that that could be exciting. I'm not exactly sure how that plays out, but, but I do see that as an exciting use case for creators to have more control and ownership of your work. So I love that concept of, you know, of consumers and art collectors getting entitlements or like extra access. And that's why I'm insanely excited to bring up one of my favorite musicians, Verite, who is currently selling the NFT of her new single, Buy Now. And when the winner of this auction gets both two VIP tickets to all future Verite headlining performances, but even more interesting is they can, they get up to 100% of the artist royalties on that song. They don't own the master. They can't just redistribute it on their own, but they get to collect in the the royalties of this song. And that's why I think it's so cool. And Verite, I think this is actually the first time you're you're singing it live, right? So maybe you could give us a a little bit more on the NFT and then give us this incredible musical performance, uh, a first for uh, for us here on uh, Press Club. Yeah, um, thank you so much for having me and asking me to um, do this, especially uh, aptly times in the middle of this uh, 48-hour auction that I'm holding. Jack, I really admire everything that you're doing with Patreon, and I feel like you guys paved the way for um, creators to really own their work and co-create with their fans. And so as I've entered, you know, the NFT and crypto space, I really wanted to experiment with valuation and what practical use cases for um NFTs can look like with me and my community, but also value signaling as a, you know, a six year career independent artist, what I believe the value of one of my masters actually holds, you know, at the peak of that. And so this um, NFT is really the first uh, start to this conversation. And I really look forward to um, doing more and continuing to this conversation. And by now I'm giving you the acoustic version, which is how I wrote the song, which is actually, I think, 9 BPM slower than the version that's being released next Thursday. So I hope you guys enjoy. An extra exclusive then. Thank you so much for bringing this, Verite. Sorry, let me just check my audio. All right. Here we go. I was so far flowing more than you were knowing and winds were breaking fast along the lake we found darling you ought to know by now darling you ought to know how the signs were growing Faster than you'd notice, my mind's caving, hoping it could take me out. Darling, you ought to know by now. Darling, you ought to know somehow. Darling, you ought to know. Falls and ricochet A few pills watch me levitate out of fear So close you should see it on my face By now, by now Ooh, by now, by now, 
Thank you. I'm still trying to get used. This is the, I think, second or third time I've sung on Clubhouse. And it is a completely different experience. And also phone audio quality is is a myth to me. (laughs) Well, that was gorgeous. I felt like we were sitting right there on the piano bench with you. Verite, when you you wrote that, how are you composing that? Because the the composition, I mean, your voice is incredible. Your playing is incredible. But the composition was just beautiful. How do you actually write those songs? Are you are you uh, are you are you writing melodies with words? Are you starting with words? Are you are you kind of constructing the chords and singing, sitting down and singing shapes? Where does it come from? Uh, a song like that. I mean, uh, different songs obviously get written different ways. You know, because because you're you know an artist yourself. With this one, it was really through composed. I was in like a pretty uh, like deep and dark depression, not to give too much away, and I just was sitting at the piano. And it was one of those things where everything kind of came at once, but very slowly. And so it was like maybe one chord and a bit of a melody. And obviously for, for lyrics, I it's very stream of consciousness and I kind of mumble through it. And, and I think it's as an artist, when you write a song that really comes from like a pure place of emotion, it's more rare than I think people realize. And so the fully stripped back version of By Now is that. And then we have the 9 BPM sped up uh, modern pop version as well. So I, I view it as choose your own adventure. You can, you know, dive deep into the lake or you can enjoy the view on the surface. I love it. That's amazing. So we want to bring a few more of Patreon's top creators up to the stage to join us for this conversation so that we can get the creator perspective as well. So please, uh, in, please welcome uh, Chef Carla Music, uh, one of the the, the former uh, editor at large for Bon Appetit, James Beard, our uh, award winning author of Where Cooking Begins, uh, incredible, incredible chef and open Mike Eagle, wonderful hip hop performer, really unique style and, and another person who's really thriving on Patreon. So thank you to for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Carla, I was watching your um, your fried fish sandwich video earlier. <laughs> and first of all, you're really good at explaining things, which I'm sure you hear all the time, but also that freaking fish sandwich looked delicious. It's a good fish sandwich. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I had a lot of fun um, working on that video. It's funny because the the videos that I do on Patreon are a mix of recipes that I already had created either for my book or that I've just had kicking around. Um, and that was one of the first videos where I found myself after completing my second book, which is coming out in October. Um, I developed a hundred recipes for that. And I kind of felt like I was tapped out. Um, and the crispy fish sandwich was one of the first original recipe developments I had done in a while. And it was so fun and it was so fun to get to do it for a new platform, um, to do it for Patreon and to feel that kind of like, oh yeah, 
I remember what this feels like. And this is like super fun. I love doing this. Um, so thank you. And thanks for watching the video. Yeah. And then Open Mike Eagle, thanks a lot. Uh, so we'd love to, maybe you can start us off, Open Mike, uh, to discuss your, what do you think is kind of the biggest challenge facing creators right now when you think of your own creator business? I mean, I can only really come at it from the angle of what my challenges are and, and really for, for what it is with me. But I think it's understanding how much things cost, not just in terms of production, but in terms of like marketing and really being able to wrap my head around what it takes for, for not, uh, you know, not just producing a creative, but making it something that can really live in the marketplace and succeed and thrive. Like I have a merch business, I have a, a podcast network, and then I have my music and my music. I've, I've wrapped my head around the odds and ends of how to get that to the public for consumption, but with everything else, uh, it feels like I have to relearn each learning curve for, for each, you know, product or system that I want to put in the marketplace. Is there something that you think that the, you know, the networks or something Patreon could do to help make that easier for you? You know, just listening to this conversation the entire time, like I've been on since it, since it started and, you know, just getting insight from Jack and, and you speaking on what the challenges are, it kind of transforms the way that I'm looking at the problem. And, and that in itself is valuable. Like having insight from people who have creatively solved problems in this digital market space, especially coming from the space of creators and thinking about the space, um, you know, from that vantage point, just, just hearing that insight in itself is good. So, I, I mean, maybe Patreon can provide more of Jack talking. <laughs> <laughs> Mike and, and Carl, I have, I have a question for both of you. Just around like, what, you know, where your time goes as a creator. If you had to kind of bucket your time, um, you know, into, well, whatever the categories are, tell us about like how you spend your days and what it is that you're actually doing, you know, when you wake up to when you go to bed. Oh, that's a great question. It really varies day to day. I would say um, the funnest days for sure are my shoot days. Um, and the time that I spend shooting is a, is a tiny fraction of what we spend in post-production. So um, when we were, you were talking about um, post-production tools, support, kind of budgeting, um, you really hit on like such a huge point for me that I think was one of the biggest learning curves um, as well, kind of going from a corporate brand to my own brand um, and figuring out how much time would be spent. Do you edit your own your own work, Carl, or do you have a do you work with an editor? Or how, how I, yeah, work? I was really lucky to um, partner right from the beginning with a producer who um, both sh produces, shoots, and edits. And um, it's been like a huge learning curve for both of us. I think where we we started with. Um, you know, feeling really confident and exciting and believing that we could do it. We also had just good creative chemistry together um, and were able to wear a lot of hats, um, each of us in multiple roles. So um, he does the editing, but, you know, still we had to figure out, like, we didn't know if it would take three days or, or, or eight days to edit one full-length recipe video. Um, and we're still, you know, six months in, like working on streamlining that process every time we shoot a video. And, and how much of your time do you spend, uh, you know, doing what, I don't know if, if, if you can divide it between the fun stuff and then the stuff that mm -hmm. you feel like you kind of have to do the logistics and the, and the other things like, 
what, how would you portion that and where would you want that to be? Yeah, it's, oh, it's a, it's a really good question. Like today was a mix. I had, um, you know, a two hour kind of shoot where I was shooting remote, um, for an upcoming video. I probably spent about two hours on the Patreon platform, um, you know, posting video, engaging with my audience. I put a poll up and then I spent a lot of time, you know, I also have a book coming out. Um, I'm working on other creative collaborations related to the six month countdown to the book. So probably the rest of the day was spent on that. But, you know, I'm also a parent. I have two kids who are doing school from home. You know, I spent two hours probably preparing (laughs) meals for them and spending time with my kids. So it's just very weird you know, COVID um, blend of working from home and parenting and and just being here, and and being a being a person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Answering the door. Right. <laughs> and and Mike, how about you? What's the what's the the balance between, you know, d- making art, creating, and doing the stuff um, that that you know you're you're known for, and then the kind of behind the scenes work that people don't see. Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, uh, at the moment, uh, it's a lot of administrative. Like, my podcast network is probably the thing that's on the front of my, um, you know, business interest line right now. So it's, you know, administering the network and recording my own podcast and making sure everything is edited and in place. And we just launched, and there's PR, and there's this and that. So, like, right now, and this happens for me a lot because my interests are diversified in terms of, how I'm trying to, you know, build revenue. The administrative is taking a lot of time. And I find often by the end of a day, um, I feel like very mentally exhausted. Mm. And I think, you know, I, if, I'm, if I was thinking about them in terms of levers, I think I want this administration lever to come down a little bit so I can put more energy into being creative. And, um, you know, like I said, I think it's just the cost of of me trying to do different ideas and trying to uh, execute different ways to be and 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 have things be out into the world. But um, like I've recently brought on an, uh, an assistant to help with my um, podcast network, and and that's been great in terms of supporting and being able to offload some of that administrative stuff. But um, but I'm not getting the time to be creative that I want in the moment at this moment at all. Again, I've talked to so many creators who say the exact same thing. Um, I, I feel that way, <laughs> like, you know, I, and, and, and even, even, you know, before Patreon, um, you know, I, I felt like I had to do so, so many things that were not making art. And I know, at least for me, my balance, you know, I, I always wanted to be in a position where I could spend more of my time doing that. But how about, how about you, Verite? Where, where's your, where's your balance right now between kind of, the, the writing songs and, and, you know, producing and, and making things versus all the other stuff. I would say that they operate in, in seasons almost, right? I think that I have seasons where I am hyper creative and um, writing a lot, producing a lot, creating a lot of music. And then my brain kind of switches and I kind of go into more admin strategy, uh, 
you know, business minded, uh, like, how are we going to release this? And I'm really lucky that like, I find an art to the business side of, of being an independent artist um, in strategizing and coming up with creative solutions, which is really 99% of being an artist these days, I feel like. Um, and so right now, obviously, I'm like fully consumed by this project that I'm releasing. And then I'm looking forward to maybe taking a few days off and then kind of moving back into the creative season um, and then prepping for what's next. Amazing. So I want to ask Jack, you guys launched your own creator fund recently uh, designed to you know, help uh, give sort of a jump start of $10,000 to some creators. Maybe you could tell us like what you've learned from that experience so far and how that's going. One of the things that we see folks using money for when they get it is, is hiring teams hiring people to help them focus on on art making. I, I actually was recently talking to Laura Chernikoff, who worked for a long time with Hank Green and, and Nerdfighters, helped scale VidCon. Um, she was on the early team there. She's now basically building a company that is like a, it's almost like a rent-a-COO <laughs> for, for a creator. And she'll work with you and kind of interview you and see where you're spending your time and see how much time you're taking to filter through emails and set up systems around it and help you take a lot of the administrative work off your plate. That's one thing that we see creators kind of wanting to hire right off the bat is that that administrative side. That's a huge big part of it. And then, you know, special projects, building out the, building out the studio, building out the, the dream, getting the gear, getting the project rolling, you know, whether it's a new album or a, or a new idea for a, for a show or for a network or something like that. But honestly, like hiring, I think is a, is a big piece of it. And, and one thing that we've also noticed is I think like, especially creators who've been doing it for a while, have such a good sense of their business. Creators I've found are such natural, brilliant thinkers about their business and understand their business better than anyone else on the planet you know, have, have a good solid sense a lot of the time about like what they can do to grow and how they can best grow their business. And so finding somebody who can help them do that can be really helpful for folks. I want to recap some of the top points from today's talk real quick, because uh, it's been awesome. If you guys want, uh, there's going to be a recording of this available. You can subscribe at constein.club uh, and you can uh, subscribe and get the, the the, the recording there in maybe a day or so once we get that finished up. Uh, and also, if you want to bid on that falling sand uh, uh, NFT, uh, you get the physical one and the portrait, uh, the digital portrait, and 20% goes to stop API hate. Uh, you can find that on Foundation. It's uh, linked at the top of my profile. Uh, but let's jump into some takeaways uh, that were that were from amazing Jack's amazing insights today. So we started off talking about how you know the Patreon started from Jack's own frustration, you know, pouring heart and money into making a music video and getting so little in return from that ad revenue share. And so you know, his idea was to build something which would allow creators to really own uh, that relationship with their fans and get paid by the people that love them rather than just being paid by random advertisers. Um, and he said that, you know, originally creation and patronage, it all started with a rich person finding an artist saying, I like your shit. I'm going to go make, you should go make more. And the artist got to make art as long as the coins would last. Um, and since the advent of the recording cylinder, you know, we've met, uh, there's been a way to finally record record music and, and content and things and art that wasn't available beforehand. Uh, but what that required then was distribution. And eventually we saw, you know, after the, the radio and the television, we saw these social media platforms like Facebook and Google that came along and they solved the distribution problem, 
but they solved it in isolation from the business model problem. They basically weren't solving payments, and they instead just saw it as a free way to fill their coffers with content. And you know, as Jack said, the difference difference is that content just fills a hole. It fills a feed. It's just something to distract you and occupy your time. Whereas uh, you know, real art is something that you cherish, that you want to save forever. And I think that's what most creators actually want to be creating is art and not content. But that wasn't how it was being treated. It wasn't being valued by these major platforms. And now finally, uh, these platforms have woken up. Maybe it's just that they see a, a business opportunity that you know they need video content. That's where the most lucrative ads are. And they need to, to pay or allow creators to get paid so that they can keep that content. And Jack says that he actually does think that they're going to be successful. He's, a, he's an optimist there. Um, but it, even if they do figure it out, uh, if they don't, because if they don't figure out this monetization, they will lose creators. And we're already seeing that flight of creators moving their audiences off of the major platforms. You know, Signal Fire's creator economy market map highlighted that's the biggest trend going on right now is creators are sick of the onboard tools on these platforms and they're moving their fans, even if only a, their niche, you know, hard most hor- hardcore fans off of those platforms so that they can monetize them better and create the content that's just for them rather than one size fits none content for everybody. But Jack says that he doesn't think that these big platforms have the hearts in the right place. You know, they have to do something and they need to help creators make a little bit more money, but they're not necessarily going to debase their existing business models or suddenly just, you know, become patrons of the arts themselves just to help creators. Uh, But instead, he sees two major trends affecting creators over the next two decades. One is that creators are going to earn more money. Thankfully, there's just more ways for them to monetize their art, their presence, their likeness, you know, an intimate connection with the fan, the content itself, the community that they build around their content where it's more peers uh, providing the value, not just the artist, and that that's going to be really advantageous for artists. And the other thing is that we're going to see more and more tools built for these uh, creators and that instead they're going to have to become basically the CEO of their own media company and that creators will have to do the logistics, the shipping, to learn finances, you know, analytics, merchandise design, everything. Um, And hopefully what we're going to get is a new wave of tools that are going to help these creators not just spend all their time on all these little functions, but actually get to go back to making their art. And some of the things that we really need to be able to get there is more on the uh, creator financing side. Creators don't have credit scores. Jack told us the story of how hard it was for him to try to, you know, buy housing when all you have is iTunes receipts for the the money you're getting paid for your MP3s. And creators just don't have access to the same type of capital that others do. Uh, Signal Fire funded a company called Carrot in the space. It's a credit card for influencers to finance their production shoots. But we need more startups in this space to help, you know, give creators that first start so they can maybe quit their day job and create full time or just finance uh, their their production uh, and get, get them some working capital. But there's a lot more that they need too. You know, Jack says that most of the creators that he talks to says that they wish they could find an editor to just help them finish that podcast or do post-production or a technical collaborator. And so maybe we need a marketplace for finding those technical collaborators for creators. We need help with logistics for shipping because it's still a huge pain for creators to be able to ship merchandise uh, and emblems of their fandom to their fans. Uh, like we said, they need help with production. Uh, and they also need help with savings and retirement, not just the immediate finance of content or art, but the long-term finance of you know how they're going to be able to get a pension out of this or eventually be able to retire. Um, and that we're going to want to see creators get into other spaces like fashion, which is a you know, startup wardrobe is letting creators rent out their closets. Um, but you know, long-term, you're seeing that there's creator burnout occurring. Because these algorithms incentivize constant uploading, constant sharing so that they can pr- uh, preference their own daily active user counts that drive you know, their, their Wall Street valuations, you know, we need to see ways for creators to be able to take a day off 
Maybe that's you know just being able to take a break from the algorithm without getting penalized, or more in you know uh, formalized systems for collaborating with another creator so they can take over your account for a little while and handle that content production for you. And you know Jack's own family, his wife, uh, they decided that you know of all their goals for their band Pomplamoose, they were going to put them all aside and make the only goal making it sustainable for his wife Natalie to really be the CEO of that band. And that meant hiring a team, but that can take a lot of time. And I think more help there would be really valuable. And you know, there's a lot of talk about the creator economy middle class and whether that's the production folks or, or what's going to happen there. But in reality, that's most of the creator space. If you're, you know, if you're one of those huge, huge artists, you're almost a celebrity instead. But the creator space is allowing people in any niche for any subculture to find fans and monetize them so that they can turn their passion into their profession. Um, but there is a big segment of creators out there that don't want to work on top of these platforms. They want their own and operated business. Uh, they, they've been burned by algorithm changes by the big platforms where suddenly their revenue or their traffic drops 50%. So it's reasonable for them to distrust that and want to build their own you know, websites and their own tools where they own the contact information of their fans rather than just hoping that a uh, platform will actually deliver their messages or their art to those fans. Um, and there's a lot of ex increased excitement to build those kind of websites and more white labeled tools like Spore.gg that makes the Constine.club website that uh, I've been referring to where people can submit questions and chat with our fans. Um, but you know, creators do get mad that when there's big platforms, there can be discovery where you know it's you you never can truly rely on that, and maybe you're getting cross promotion of your fans to other creators, uh, which could you know lead to cannibalization of your revenue streams. And Patreon's taking care of this through Memberful, a company that it acquired, which helps uh, which helps creators build those white labeled products. But that said, they don't have uh, its own ability to you know move your your Patreon to a website and move it back and forth. Maybe they should. Um, and you know, in terms of long-term moderation standards, you know, uh, Jack believes that over the next ten years, things are really going to change, and that we're going to end up with a single set of standards uh, that everyone's going to have to agree upon, and that's going to be make it a little, at least a little bit simpler for creators to know what is and isn't allowed. But that said, he hopes, and I hope too, that there's always a place for things like OnlyFans. You know, because models and sex workers they deserve a place to be able to make a, a, a living as well. And you know, most museums are filled with about a quarter of, of them filled with nude art. So it seems ridiculous that we draw these very stern lines between what is and isn't allowed. Um, and then when it came to NFTs, Jack talked about the need for easier usability and that you know it shouldn't just be a digital emblem. It should have some entitlements for the fan. Maybe it gets them into a community. Maybe it gets them onto the you know a VIP ticket the way that Verite is uh, offering with her new NFT or that you can actually own a piece of the content the way that you know, Verite's new NFT is allowing the, the winner to collect up to 100% of the artist royalties on this song she released. Uh, but in the end, the biggest thing that creators really need is help hiring. They need assistance. They need COOs. Because I think the greatest tragedy of the creator economy would be if artists are too distracted by all these tools to, uh, to be able to create the, the self-expression, the light, the joy, and the gifts that they give to the world. Um, so I want to thank all of the creators up here for, uh, for joining us today. And Jack, I want to give you, you know, a chance for a final word. Do you have any advice to creators out there trying to navigate this rapidly changing landscape? Wow, Josh, either you have the best memory in the world or you are the best note taker in the world, but that was extraordinary. <laughs> um, that was that was a feat. I feel like we, I wish there was a round of applause sound effect or something. <laughs> I guess they have that tipping function now if you really <laughs> like that, uh, that summary. It's in my profile. So thank you to you and, and thank you to James for the incredible portrait and, and open mic and Carla for your, your thoughts on where your time goes and, and how you spend your 
your days and, and what you're working on in Verite for that just beautiful song and composition. Just incredible. Thank you to the, the wonderful creators in the room. Um, and, and, you know, it, advice, two things um, for, for creators out there. First, don't quit. This is the most exciting time. And um, I remember, you know, 2007, loading all my gear into my car. I did four West Coast tours. Um, I played to empty rooms up and down the West Coast. I played 90-minute sets. You know, nobody showed up. Uh, and, and I did it for years. And, um, and it would have been a great time to quit. I would have had every reason in the world to quit. But when you quit, you never know how close you were. And, and you'll never find that out. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I think it's worth it to keep going and to figure it out. So, so that, that's the first thing. Don't quit. The second thing, and, and this is, this is the, the long-term thing here. Um, this, the second renaissance is here. And I don't use that word lightly. This is a renaissance that we are going through. The, the, the amount of funding and celebration for the arts that we're about to see at scale across the entire planet. Um, it's, it's, it literally is going to make the first Renaissance um, seem like old news. <laughs> um, we're, we're about to see tens of millions of creative people empowered and enabled and part of a movement that is going to lead to the, the, the global production of art uh, in a way that is going to be the most freaking inspiring, wonderful, beautiful thing. It's, our culture is going to change. Culture is going to change because of this. We're, we're going to recognize the value that artists bring to the world, the impact that artists have on society, and artists will be compensated for that work. They will be paid for their work. They will be paid like any other person who's contributing to society and culture is paid. That's the world that we're about to be in. It's, it's, we're, we're getting there right now. It's going to take some time, but it's, it's where we're headed. And I'm, I'm just so excited about that. If you're a creative person, you're alive right now. It's literally the best time in human history to be making art. That is such a beautiful sentiment. Thank you for those words of encouragement, Jack. I think people do really look up to you as both, you know, one of the few people in the world who is really both a creator, business person, and a creator themselves, yeah, at the top of one of these platforms at true scale. You know, when so many of the other platforms feel like you're never really sure of the intentions, I feel like I can always be sure of Patreon's intention to actually help artists because of how much you care about this space. So I really appreciate the, the all of the, the help that you've given to creators so far and that message don't quit we are in this new renaissance this is a time of empowerment stick it out i know that burnout can be tough but just keep creating ask your friends for help to give you a, a break if you can ask another creator to take over your account take a week off and come back refreshed because now is the time for creation I love it. Thank you so much, Josh, for having us and for organizing this. This was great. Absolutely. But to have Jack Conti, you know, the pioneer of the creator economy on today, really meant a ton to me. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Would love to hear your feedback. Should I shut up more? Should I let other people talk? Uh, is there, are there, should I have more speakers? Did you like this one-on-one -on -one format versus the sort of bigger group format that we've had in some of our past shows? Uh, and should we be moving through multiple topics or one big topic per week? And what time slot do you want? I'm thinking about moving to Wednesdays at 6 p.m., uh, rather than Thursdays. We'd love to hear your thoughts on any of that. So you're, you guys, the community, the people who are still listening, you're the ones who really truly matter to me and I would love to hear your feedback. 
please never feel uh, hesitant to, to contact me and give me your, your thoughts. But for that, I'm Josh Constantine from SignalFire. If you're building something in the creator economy, please give us a pitch. We'd love to hear about it. Thank you for to Paul Davison for making this incredible app that is allowing so many new creators to emerge. Thank you to Falling in Sand, aka James Sun, for making this awesome portrait and to all of our speakers for joining us today. And most of all, to you listeners. You know, I just hope to honor your ears because your time is your most valuable possession. So thank you again for joining us and spending it with us here tonight. Farewell from me, Josh Constein, and from Press Club, we will see you next week. Farewell.